0: you can turn your Bibles to John chapter 14. But as you're turning to John chapter 14, would you consider with me John chapter 13? In John chapter 13, we have the Last Supper. When it's over, we read about Jesus washing the feet... Of the disciples, explaining what we just sang about, serving him is all about. And then in John chapter 13, he exposes his betrayer, Judas. And after he exposes his betrayer, Judas, Judas excludes himself from the room you got twelve guys that's been running with Jesus for three years. They're buddies. They're friends. They're like that. After Judas expels himself from the room and Jesus explains to him, he's fixing to die. You guys are all going to... And Peter says, "Uh uh-uh, I ain't leaving you you imagine being in that room and Jesus looks right at him and said three times by morning? And that's exactly what happened. I believe what happened in John chapter 13. For the eleven that was left in the room and what had been said. I believe Jesus read some body language. We don't have an account of them saying much more than what Peter said, but I believe Jesus read some body language. And I believe the body language that he read in that room was one of heartache and one of heartbreak and one of confusion. And can I say that Sunday after Sunday as I stand behind the pulpit, I'm not looking at 11 guys after one's been excluded for betraying. I read body language pretty good. There's not a service that goes by that I don't look out there and see heartache, heartbreak, and confusion. And when I consider John 14, beginning in verse 1, For the first time, Brother David, in light of John 13. Well, sometimes we just got to tie it all together, don't we? It seems to me that Jesus reads the heartbreak, reads the heartache, and then simply switches. One preacher said the tension was so thick in that room, it could have been cut with a knife. But then Jesus turns to those heartbroken, heart ached, confused men, and he begins John 14.1. And so if I had to give today's message a title, it would be titled in what I believe he was doing. I believe he was telling them, and I believe he's telling us. You ready for the title? How to Deal with the Troubled heart. It's evident that he read the body language, and it's evident their hearts was troubled. And so today I'm going to preach how to deal with a troubled heart. First of all, Jesus says, keep believing. Keep trusting. There's a Jesus to be trusted He says in verse 1, let not your heart be troubled. He saw it all over. You believe in God? Can you imagine him looking right at him? Go ahead and believe in me also. In other words, trust me. Jesus says, trust me. Jesus says, keep believing. He reiterates Proverbs 3, 5, Miss Bonnie, when it says, trust in the Lord with what? All of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. You try to lead on what you understand, lean on what you understand, lean on what you know, let me tell you what, you won't have nothing to lean on, you'll fall. That's why the hymn writer said, leaning on the everlasting arms. And I want you to think about something with me this morning. Don't we trust Jesus with our past? I mean, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. And one day we all heard exactly what we are. Sinners that fall short of the glory of God. So we know what we are. We're full of lust. We're full of lies. We're full of envy. We're full of jealousy. We're full of hate. We're full of discord. We are full of sin. And then one day, because faith comes by hearing, we hear there's something that can cleanse us from all of those sins. And it's the blood of Christ. We hear that from 1 John 1, 7. And then just a verse later, two verses in verse 9, he says, If we confess our sins, all those things we're full of, He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin, cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And when we do that, we read where He takes our sin and He casts it as far as the east is from the west we read that He buries it in the depths of the sea, and we read and we hear how God Almighty remembers that sin no more. It's washed and covered and cleaned by the blood that was shed on Calvary. And when we do that, we trust Him with our past. Ever thought about that? But then think about this. We trust Him with our future. I I just really love Jude verse 24 because it's going to be Him, Jesus, that presents me faultless in the presence of God's glory with exceeding joy. Because I trusted Him to cover my sins, I was full of fault and guilt, wasn't I? But he done away with it, and now in the future, I trust him to look at God the Father and say, this is Rob Pierce. He confessed him, I covered him, and dad, father, let him in. I'm trusting Jesus to get me into heaven. Not that I'm a preacher, not that I've done good deeds, not that I've been baptized. Not that I have joined a church. I'm trusting Jesus with my future to get me into heaven. I think Paul was talking a little bit about us trusting Him with our past and trusting Him with our future when he told young Timothy, I know in whom I have believed. I know who I handed my past. And then he tells Timothy, he said, And I'm persuaded that he is able to keep what I've committed to Him until that last day. Doesn't that verse sound to you like Paul saying, hey, I trusted Him with my past. I know who I believed. I knew who I confessed my sins. I know who took my sins. And I'm persuaded He's able to keep that until that day. Paul was saying, I trust Him with my past. And because I've trusted Him with my past, I can trust Him For my future. So I got a question for you. Do we all agree there? Why is it so hard to trust him with our present? I mean if we trust him with our past. We trust him with our future. I got a question for you. Why do we struggle so much. To trust him. With the present. Have you ever thought of it in that light? We should trust Him. And that's what He's telling His disciples. Trust Me. Keep believing. I've got this. I want you to think about Isaiah 55. Verse 8 says, Jesus says, My thoughts are higher than your thoughts, and My ways are higher than your ways. He says, Just as heaven is higher than the earth, My ways and My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. Has it ever Does anybody ever struggle like I do? I don't understand everything. I don't comprehend everything. And some of it keeps me awake at night. Recently, this last week on Monday, I went through Dallas. And all these exits was telling me so and so Parkway. And I'm saying, there it is again. I thought I'd got over it, but it's it's fresh on my mind. We drive on parkways, and we park on driveways. I don't get it, God. I would kind of got over it, but going through Dallas, I seen the parkways, and I thought, God of heaven, I don't understand it. And so therefore that night I got no sleep wondering why. We drive on parkways and park on driveways. And then as I was laying there, it just got worser. I woke my wife up and said, "Hun, i I'm struggling. When they ship a big old load of styrofoam, what do they pack it in? You struggle like I do? You guys are saying, No, I don't. And then this one got me, and I asked Donna this morning. I said, Huh? can fat people skinny dip? I said, I didn't wake up in the middle of the night, but I've been struggling all morning. And let me tell you what your shy little first lady looked at me and said, God help her. She looked me right in the eye early this morning when I was struggling, can fat people skinny dip? And she said, I guess, honey, they fat dip. And I've done got a text. Somebody watched it live stream. And one of your church members, one of your brothers in Christ said, hey, when a fat person's..." Skinny dips, it's called Chunky Duncan. (laughs) So it looks like another sleepless night for me, Terry. (laughs) Now, folks, if you believe that stuff keeps me up at night, you're wrong. But can I tell you what does keep me up? Mine is a healthy 12 year old girl all of a sudden have a little issue and two weeks later she's gone you know what else keeps me up at night he's been on our prayer chain for five years Georgie Weaver he has battled cancer never had no quality of life You know what keeps me up at night? Wondering why my nephew headed to work with such a bright future in front of him. Was killed in a head-on car wreck. You know what keeps me up at night? Wondering why my mother and father-in-law had to both battle cancer at the same time. And you know what keeps me up at night? I watch Boyd and Connie Rice. Both having major health issues at the same time you know what keeps me up at night the hurt and heartbreak that's going on in the body of believers that God's called me to oversee that's what keeps me up because I don't understand and I can't comprehend When I go boldly to the throne room with a broken heart and an aching heart, you know what He says? The same thing He says to that room of eleven. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God? Believe also in me. And He whispers by way of Holy Spirit, trust me. You and I were looking through a knot hole of a picket fence, watching a parade. And we can only see what's right in front of us. But we got a God that sits high, and He sees the parade from the beginning to the end. And He's saying to you, and He's saying to me, I see the big picture. And He whispers, trust me. I want you to think about Jairus. You can read about him, Mark 5, Luke 8. The Bible tells us he's a ruler of the synagogues. When Jesus came, you know what the rulers of the synagogues gathered together and done, Brother James? They gathered together and they contemplated and they decided we want nothing to do with this Jesus. Right? You read the scriptures, you can see that. We want nothing to do with this Jesus. Jarius was one of them. So he decides, I want nothing to do with this man. Okay? There's lots of people in our world that make the decision just like Jarius did. They want nothing to do with Jesus. Huh? They tell me, I want nothing to do with your Bible, your church, or your Jesus. But something changed for Jarius. You know what it was? He had a seventh grader. That's what I figure she was. She was 12. Jairus was a girl's daddy. That girl was a daddy's girl. And she took sick. And all of a sudden, that man that wanted nothing to do with Jesus was desperate. Because the apple of his eye was on the doorstep of death. You understand that? Be careful saying you don't want anything to do with Jesus, because there might something come your way that causes you to cause Jarius to do what he done. He hears Jesus is coming, and Jesus no more than gets off the boat, and guess what Jarius does? He falls at his feet. Now this is a proud ruler of the synagogue that had once said, "I want nothing to do with that man," and now he has fell at his feet. And he's begging him to go, come to my house. It's the apple of my eye. It's my little girl. Come on. And Jesus comforts him, and they head that way. Daddies, you think they are walking fast enough for Jairus? I promise you they wasn't. I'm telling you, he wanted the flashers on, he wanted to run hot, he wanted to speed up. You can't convince me no differently. And you know what happens? On the way, there's a woman with the issue of blood. And she'd had it for twelve years. Jarius is just wanting to get to his house. I've got the doctor. I've got the great physician. We gotta get there. Don't you know it just his heart just sunk? When this trip become, this trip comes to a standstill. Come on, can, it's real. I imagine when that lady slips up behind him and touches the hem of his garment and it says he stops, he turns around, and he felt power go out of him, and he said, Who touched me? And how many of you know he knew who touched him? He's the God who knows all things. He was looking for a public confession because if you don't publicly confess him, he won't confess you before the Father. He turns around. He's looking for the public confession. She, a little timid lady who had been suffering for 12 years, she says it was I, And I'm going to tell you when she confessed him right then is when he knew he would confess her someday before the Father. Get that? And he kind of talks about her faith. But the whole time this is going on, don't lose me here. Jairus is probably jumping up and down saying, Come on. And you know what happens before they ever get rolling again? Have you read the story? Before they ever get rolling again, you know what happens? Somebody's come from the house. And they look at Jarius, And they say, you can let the teacher go. You can let Jesus go. Jarius, she died. You'll never convince me I've not experienced it. And I hope and pray to God I never do. But you'll never convince me that wasn't the darkest hour that Jairus had ever had in his life. And you'll never convince me that wasn't the deepest valley that he ever stood in. Now, I want you to look up here. The whole bunch was devastated. And Jesus looks at him. Watch this. He says, don't be afraid. Only believe. Ready for layman's terms? Don't worry. Trust me. Look here. And there they went. And when they arrive at the house, did you realize in Bible days there was professional mourners? When you read that, the Bible... So, can you get in the yellow pages and call the professional mourners? I mean, that just beyond me, that you'd have, it was all for show. That's what they've done. That is nuts. Just like you'd call the funeral home, get the mourners out here. That's what they've done. And so when Jesus is getting there, and it's all for show. I heard a preacher tell about his, one of his first funerals. He was preaching the funeral of a lady, elderly lady in the church, had three daughters and a son, and they come to that funeral. Now listen to this. They would not been to see her in a nursing home for five-plus years. And at the funeral that day, one of the, the first girl comes up there and just begins to cry and weep over her. Mama, I'm going to miss you. I'm going to miss you. And the preacher said, I'm standing behind the pulpit. and said, I ain't seen her in five years. The second daughter don't want to be outdone, so she comes up there, begins to rub all over her mom and tell her how she's the most precious thing that's ever been in her life. The preacher says, in my mind, I'm thinking, five years and he said the third daughter not to be outdone he said I guess the brother was just embarrassed she just wanted to crawl in a hole but she come up there and she started trying to climb in the casket and crying out mom I just want to go with you I just want to go with you all for show undertaker looked up the preacher and said what do I do the preacher said let her go let her go shut that door brother she'll get out of there isn't it something In the middle of such devastation, there's still people that it's all for show. And Jesus asked these professional mourners, what are you guys doing? They're weeping and wailing. That's what your Bible tells you. He said, she's only asleep. And they went from weeping and wailing, this will tell you where their heart was, to laughing and ridiculing him. And if you don't ever think that Jesus ain't a real man, read what he done next. He told him get out. Sometimes we get to thinking of Jesus because he tells us to turn the other cheek. We get to thinking he's not a man's man, don't we, man? Let me tell you what he done to those. Read it. Get out. That's a man. If you don't think he's a man, one day he come into the temple. And he didn't like what they'd made the temple of. And he went ahead and got him a whoop. Whoop. And if you don't think he's a man's man, he told them to get out. And if you don't think they read his eyes, he never had to whoop nobody because they got out. He tells them to get out. He tells these mourners, get out. And then he takes Jairus, Miss Jairus. And Peter, John, and James up there to that room. What did he tell Jairus back there? In his deepest, darkest time. What did he tell him? Don't be afraid. What did he tell him? Trust me. And Jesus walks in there and tells that little girl, Get up. You know what that little girl does? Lo and behold, she got up. Now you look at me and you say, well, that don't help me because my son didn't get up. That don't help me because my brother didn't get up. Help me because my husband didn't get up. Well, it ain't over yet. Because let me tell you what's going to happen. One day he's coming again. And remember at Lazarus' funeral, when he got there a little bit late? If you'd have been here, he wouldn't have died. Remember what he said? He said, he cried with them, fully man, as if he was no God. But now he's fixing to show him he's fully God, as if he's no man. What did he do? Lazarus! He had to call him by name, didn't he? Lest he be mixed up with the second coming. He had to call him by name because one day Jesus is coming again. And it won't just be one person. It won't just be little girl, get up. Jesus is coming again and He's going to tell everybody that is a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, get up! And the cemeteries are going to look like plowed ground. Amen? So look here. You've lost a loved one. They believe in Jesus. And you're heartbroken and your heart aches. You're confused. Let me tell you what Jesus is telling you today trust me, believe in me, and fear not. How to deal with trouble? heart? Number one, he says keep believing. Now watch this. Number two, he says keep clinging. Keep clinging. And you look at John 14, and you're looking down through there, and he said he don't say that nowhere. Well, wait a minute. i got to ask you something. Do you think this is one of the most misused verses in the Bible? There's a bunch of them. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things in Christ who strengthens me. Revelation 3.20 is probably the one that's most misused. And listen to me. Let me make a point there. When Revelation 3.20, he's talking to a body of believers that are gathering without the presence of the Holy Spirit. And he's saying, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if anybody in there realizes you're having a meeting without me, if you'll open this door, I'll come in, I'll get right in this meeting. I'd love to be a part of this meeting. It's meeting about me. How about a meeting with me? Do you realize that's what Revelation 3 is talking about? Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anybody hears my voice. A lot of churches are having church today, and he's outside. That's in context, Revelation 3. But I see nothing wrong with using Revelation 3.20 to be evangelistic because it works the same way. When we preach an evangelistic message, Jesus, by way of Holy Spirit, knocks upon the door of people's hearts. And so we'll say, today, He stands at the door and knocks. Not the door of the church, the door of your heart. And if you hear that knock on your heart, called by the Spirit, if you'll open your heart, He'll come in dine with you and you with Him. So really, when we use Revelation 3.20, really it's out of context, but it makes a good point, and I see nothing wrong, and the Lord hadn't got on to me for the times I've done that. But you say, well, what's the misused verse here? He says in there, in my Father's house are many mansions. It means they're done there. If it wasn't so, I would have told you. But then what does He say? I go prepare a place. And how many times have we heard it, and I've been guilty of it, of, boy, Jesus has went back to heaven. Thank God he had a few years of a carpenter here, has some experience. So when he got back to heaven, he hollered over at Michael, the archangel, throw me that tool bag, brother. So Jesus has put on his tool bag, got a load of lumber from AZ Lumber over here because it's usually cheaper. And he's just been nailing nails and sawing boards ever since he's been back to glory. We use that verse to say he's up there building for us. That ain't what he's talking about right there. In my father's house are many mansions. They're done built. If it were not so, I would have told you. It's a great place is what he's saying. And then he says, I go prepare a place for you. What did he just say in John 13? I'm going to die. I'm going to prepare the way. He's talking about the cross. See, from the fall of mankind, look here, sinful man and holy God, completely separated. And sinful man had tried every way to get back, hadn't he? Built a tower to heaven, didn't work. Received the law from Moses, tried to live it, couldn't live it out. Is everybody with me? Tried every way they could for sinful man to get back to holy God. And you know what Jesus is telling this group of men? What you guys couldn't do I'm fixing to do. In other words, that song, I'm going to take two pieces of wood and three old rusty nails, and I'm going to prepare a way for you, sinful man, to get back to holy God. And when I say he's telling us how to deal with heartache and heartbreak and trouble, look here. He's telling you, cling to the cross. That's what he's saying. I go to prepare, and you guys can cling to that cross. Remember First Corinthians chapter one and verse eighteen. You know what it says? For the message of the cross, listen to this: is foolishness to those who are perishing, right? But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. Folks, that's a hallelujah shouting verse. And I've explained it, but I can't even say that verse without explaining it. Somebody asked me, you've been saved? I said, I've been saved, I'm being saved, and looking forward to the day I'll be saved. And they get big-eyed and say, what? You said, or, am I saved? And I said, I've been saved, I'm being saved, and one day I'll be saved. And they look at me, and I say, one Tuesday morning in an old Mack truck, I have been saved, was saved from the penalty of sin." And ever since that Tuesday morning in that old Mack truck, I've been being saved from the power of sin. So I've been saved, I'm being saved, but one day I'm going to arrive in heaven and I'll be saved from the presence of sin. So let me answer your question. I've been saved, I'm being saved, and one day I will be saved. And if you've been saved, you're being saved, and one day we'll be saved. And if you need me to repeat that, we'll have to go back and replay it. But he's talking about the message of the cross. Thank God for the power that's in it for us who are being saved while we're living the rest of our life on this earth. You with me? You know what Paul's saying? Cling to the cross. Cling to the cross. And so when I think about all the day, do you guys... I put it like people say, "Boy, you look funny up there. Sometimes your face and your body expressions preaching." <laughs> I said, "Really?" I said, "You guys look funnier as I look out there and preach to you. I guess that's kind of how we have to deal with it. You think I look funny preaching to you, and I think you look funnier while I'm preaching to you." You know what I look out there and say? I we ought to have a mirror right here. I'm a people watcher. And I'll start out by saying, thank God we've never been a church that's had to have multiple services because of music. There's a lot of churches that have multiple churches and the reason is simply they can't agree on the music. That's pretty selfish. There'll be some preachers if they heard me that's made them decisions that get plum mad at me. But I'm just telling you, I don't get that. If it lifts and exalts the name Jesus and it's contemporary, then let's get after it. If it lifts and exalts the name of Jesus and it's older than Methuselah, let's get after it. Look here. So I'm looking at a bunch of people, the different personalities, some like traditional, some like contemporary, and praise God we've never had to have two services because we just get over it. And then I look out there, 20 years of experience this August I've got, and I watch you folks. And you talk about a wide variety of people. In other words... You're a motley crew. I mean, there's one of every shape, every kind. We're going to get the mirror. I I mean, you guys need it. You need to look at what I look at when I preach. You say, what are you getting at, Rob? I don't care what kind of music you like. And in my 20 years, listen to me, Dave. Dave. I've seen the hand raisers, and I've seen the hand downers. Wouldn't raise it for nothing. I've seen the shouters, the ameners. I've seen the non-shouters. They're not going to let out a peep. I have watched in this crew the head bowers, the head uppers. Some of you close your eyes longer than you should, and some of you never close your eyes when I think you should. I'm watching you. But I don't ever watch you. Say so your eyes should have been shut. No, I say, God, can I look just to see who's... Here? He tells me, yeah. <laughs> Boy, there's a lot of personalities out here, ain't he? A lot of differences in music. A lot of differences in, in how our personality is. But let me tell you something. When heartache and heart trouble comes... You know, my advice to you, whether you're contemporary or traditional music, whether you're an amen or non-amen or hand-raiser, non-hand-raiser, eye closer, eye wide open, head bow, head up, You let know me tell you what you need to do when hard trouble comes, every one of you, no matter your personality, run and cling to the old rugged cross because it's the power of God to us who are being saved. Well, I think the hymn writer got it right, don't you? On a hill... Far away stood an old rugged cross. What was it? The emblem of suffering and shame. And I love that old rugged cross where the dearest and best for a world of lost sinners was slain. And then the songwriter penned, I will cherish... That old rugged cross. Till my trophies at last I lay down. But then he didn't just say I'll cherish it. He said I will cling to that old rugged cross. And exchange it someday for a crown. And that old rugged cross he said I will ever be true. It's shame and reproach. I gladly bear. And He'll call me home someday to my home far away where His glory forever I'll share. I'll cherish that old rugged cross. My trophies I'll lay down. I want everybody look up here. We cherish it. Oh, we cherish it. But sometimes I believe we forget to cling to it. I will cling to that old rugged cross. Why? And exchange it. What's a cross speak of? Heartbreak. Struggle. Cling to that old rugged cross, and one day you're going to get to exchange that heart trouble, that troubled heart, that heartbreak. You're going to get to exchange it for a crown. But until then, just go ahead and cling to it. Amen? He says, keep believing, keep clinging, but then watch this. He says, keep looking. Now, I want you to know something before I go on. I love when Peter uses the coming of Christ as an evangelistic message. That's what he does in his writings, doesn't he? Some of you say he's not coming back. We've heard that all of our life, and old Peter says, "Hey, he's not slack concerning his promise." As some count slackness, don't get mixed up. His calendar and your calendar is not the same. No, Peter just tells him one day's like a thousand years, a thousand years like one day. But the reason he hadn't come back, Peter, he's a preaching to him, isn't he? Reason he hadn't come back? Some of you folks need saved. So he uses the coming of Christ as an evangelistic message. And I'll use it today. The reason he didn't come back may be because somebody within the sound of my voice needs to be saved today right here. And Peter, he uses the second coming as an evangelistic message, doesn't he? I love that. But he says, don't, don't miss this. He will come. And it will be like a thief in the night. What Peter said. And then I love that Paul said to us believers, Hey, I'll, I'll tell you a little bit about the coming of Christ. And I think he does it to encourage old people. I think he does it to encourage old people. Because their body aches. Doesn't it, Trudy? Trudy. And old Paul says, listen, one of these days, the mortal bodies are going to put on immortality. I think old Paul uses it to encourage the ones that are hurting. An know corruptible body is going to put on corruption. But I think in that text in the book of Corinthians, he tells us, your loved ones, their death didn't sting them, but it's stinging you. And I encourage you, when he comes again, the sting will be removed from their death. You with me? I love that he and he says, it's going to happen in a moment. In the twinkling of an eye. Boy, that sounds faster than a thief in the night to me. And then he gets over there to the Thessalonica. Anybody lost loved ones here today? Paul writes again. Not using it for evangelism, not using it for hurting bodies, huh? He's saying, I want to give you guys some hope. Don't 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 sorrow as others who have no hope. Because there's going to be a shout. There's going to be the voice of the archangel. And there's going to be a trumpet blow. And when He does, your loved ones will come back with Him. And you'll be reunited with Him. Don't you love Peter and say it's going to happen like a thief in the night? And he's got an evangelistic message with it. Don't you love, Paul says, it's going to happen in a moment in a twinkling of eye. And it encourages us who have bodies that ache and pain, and we're ready for that new one. And don't you love that he used it? Hey, don't sorrow as others who have no hope, because you will get to see your loved ones again. I love it. But I don't think that I love it anymore. Because us old cowboys, us old farmers, get this one. It comes straight from the horse's mouth let not your heart be troubled he was reading their body language you believe in God believe also in me believe in me keep believing in my father's house were many mansions if it were not so I would have told you I go to prepare a place cling to the cross that's the way And if I go and prepare a place for you, here's what I like, straight from the horse's mouth. And if I go prepare a place for you, straight from the lips of the Son of God, I will come again. Keep believing. Keep clinging. But keep looking. Because He's coming again. Amen? Aren't you glad when He comes again? He can't come soon enough for me. And so one of two things. Keep looking. Either death's going to come for you. Boy, that ain't very You know, I preached on heaven last week because it seemed like He took a load to heaven the week before, didn't it? But now I'm preaching on heart trouble, heartbreak, and heartache because you know what? It seems like He dropped that load off in heaven and circled back this week. And got him another load. Harold Spencer. Tracy's dad. Georgie Weaver. Huh? Just got another load. And I called Miss Tracy on the way home from Missouri on Friday. I said, I got the news of your dad. She said, yeah. She said, I prayed for it peaceful transition I loved Harold Spencer I love sit down somebody knows how to talk they ain't all proper me and Marty went up there to see him and he was telling us about his physical ailments and he was telling me about my old brother Wayne that sorry outfit I mean that's just language I can understand he loved his brother sorry outfit wants me to take chemo wants me to take something for this You know what O'Hara was saying? I don't want to prolong getting to heaven. Isn't it something? We've got so attached to things here on earth, we don't desire heaven. God, forgive us. God, forgive us of what we'll try to do. So attached to the things and the people here on earth, we don't desire heaven. But Tracy said... I prayed for him to have a peaceful transition, and she said he just went to sleep and didn't wake up. Oh, yeah, he woke up. Can you imagine old Harold? He'd been hurting for a few years now. I bet he called cancer, and I bet he called all them old doctors. Sorry outfits for all he'd been through. Can you imagine? Listen to me. Can you imagine him going to sleep that night? thinking, I'll have to wake up and get a little relief, but I'm going to wake up in the morning. I'll still be hurting. I'll still be aching. That's probably what he thought when he closed those eyes. He woke up. Because sometime after he went to sleep, according to Luke 16, the angels was dispatched. They come and got his soul. And it makes me wonder if they didn't just gently pick him up. Shh, don't wake him up. We love to see the looks on their faces when they wake up in heaven. Can you imagine him angels trying to be real quiet, Miss Tracy? Can you imagine him carrying Oh Harold in? And then if there's anything honry like Robin, I bet the angels ain't. They would have said, boo. But when they carried him in, can you imagine? One of them said, wake him up. And one of them angels nudges him on the shoulder. When he opens his eyes just for a split second, Miss Candy, he thinks he's going to wake up to hurt and suffer some more. And then he realizes, I don't hurt. I don't ache. Where in the world am I at? Absent from the body, I'll tell you where he's at. He's present with the Lord. I can't think of anything better than to go to sleep. Thinking you're going to wake up hurting again. And wake up in a place where there's no more pain. And no more sorrow. That's good stuff. So keep looking. He may be coming after you for death, but then look here. He may come after you by way of rapture. Now this is a little bit controversial. I hope it ain't here. But any time I speak about the rapture, look here. Somebody says that's not in the Bible, preacher Rob. You know what I tell him? No, I don't, because you can't find it. You know what I tell him? Neither's ice cream, but I'll fight you for it. I just figure that's as good as answers anybody. Neither's air conditioner, but I'm going to flip it on in August. Rapture's not in the Bible. But the Greek word raptura is. And it translates in English, caught up. And so because rapture, like's on the side of that four-wheeler or three-wheeler that they used to make, because it's not in the Bible, people they miss that caught up come from rapture where we get rapture is everybody with me just cuz it's not in the bible how we see it it's in the bible you with me so if he don't come and get you by way of death he going to come get you by way of rapture your loved ones will come with jesus and them graves will be open and then we know because we've read the book what's fixing to happen. We're fixing to go up, up, and away. And I hope and pray I'm standing next to somebody that says, I don't believe in the rapture. I hope I'm standing next to somebody and I can just hear them say, I can say, get ready. I'm going to try to go another way. I'm going to see if there's a train. I'm going to see if I can catch it. Like, just because you don't believe in the rapture, if you're if anybody hears that, hear believes that way today i'm gonna let you in on something if death don't get you this may break your heart but i'm gonna tell you how you're gonna go rapture i mean i'm just gonna get gut honest with you it's either death or rapture and if you're saved you're going one way or the other so keep looking you got a troubled heart keep believing keep clinging and keep looking so John fourteen six, just a little ways down. Have you ever thought about, now he's reading the heartbreak in this room. Now Jesus, all through his ministry, they had no idea where he was going when they'd take off, did they? Well, they was going one way, he said, i got needs to go through Samaria. I mean, think about his life. If you was one of them 12, when you took off that morning, be like my dad, where are we going? Well, you'll know when we get there. I mean, that's kind of how Dad may got it from Jesus. I don't know. Don't matter. Get in. Where are we going? Don't matter. Get in. To me, when I read about these guys, let's go, I bet they learned just to quit asking where are we going. Just come on. Right? So this statement in John 14, it gets me. So after he tells them how to deal with a troubled heart, what's he say? Well, you know where I'm going. So you'll know the way and I just chuckle at that because if you really think about the life they're thinking we never know where we're going and don't you don't you love old Tommy Thomas maybe that will make more sense to you Thomas he's the only one brave enough to say uh, we've been with you 3 years buddy we never know where we're going <laughs> it'd be like me sitting getting up of the morning looking at Donna and say you know where I'm going so you'll know the way and she would go yeah right I know where you're going. I have no idea where you're going. I have no idea what you're The other day she said, you, may, you might want to write down where all your pastures and your cows are. So if you die, I know where they're at. So I thought she'd probably took out some life insurance. And as soon as I wrote it down, she's going to have me killed. So I didn't tell her where the cows was. So look here. I, does that ever occur to you how he turns around and he says, you know where I'm going. You know the way. And I'm thinking, come on, have you? They've been with you three years. They never know what. So Thomas, he, he, he looks at the others and says, you guys can sit there and fake it if you want. And he looks at Jesus he said, uh-huh, no, we don't know where you're going. If we don't know where you're going, how in the world are we going to know the way? He's just honest. And you know, sometimes we don't want to get honest. And I bet in that room, I bet the other ten was the same way. I wonder where he's going. How would we know the way? Thank God for Thomas's, huh? And then Jesus answers. I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. Now listen to this. No one comes to the Father except through me. So I'm in a pen last Tuesday. I'm evaluating bulls. And my evaluation numbers have to match up and they go in catalogs. And all of a sudden, I feel a hand reach through a cow panel gate and tap me on the shoulder. And when I turn around, it's Doug Marburger, and here's what he whispers in my ear. Now, I'm supposed to be evaluating bulls for a catalog. Forty people, eight different states. What do you think? Let's preach to them. You're the man. Peter was serious when he said, you better be ready in season and out. Now, there's going to be about five bulls. If they're cataloged wrong, they can't blame me. Because I'm going to tell you, that Rolodex went to in Dave. Forty people. Eight states. Don't you think we ought to preach to them? Somebody in this crowd, he said, needs Jesus. Let me tell you. It's no different on a Sunday morning church crowd than it is 40 people outside a pen working bulls. Somebody here today needs Jesus. Immediately, because 40 people eight different states, he took me to John 14, 6. So we gathered the people. I stood up, and I said, John 14, 6, Jesus is speaking. He said, I'm the way, the truth, the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. But I said, we're just a bunch of old cowboys and ranchers. Let me break that down where we better understand it. When Jesus says, I'm the way, let me put that in rancher's terms. Without him, you're not going. And many of you in this crowd may think we're all trying to get to the same place. Then why does it matter how we get there? Let me explain to you. There's numerous ways to get to this ranch from my house. There's numerous ways to get through Dallas. And it doesn't matter which way you take, you're going to get stuck in traffic. But there's numerous ways to do it. Some of you come from Alabama. Some of you come from Kentucky. Some come from Louisiana. And you've got a choice on which road to get here, to Windmill Ranch. But I tried my best to get their attention and tell them, if you want to go to heaven, you don't have an option. It'll be through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus because without him, you're not going. And then I said, number two, let me put that where he says I'm the truth in layman's and rancher's terms. I'm the way. Without Him, you're not going. I'm the truth. Without Him, you're not knowing. And I said, a bunch of you are wondering what's coming of this world. But I'm telling you, when we see all that's going on, we know who's coming to this world, and His name is Jesus. See, a lot of people wonder what's going on in this world, and they think it's falling apart. But in all actuality, it's coming together. And when you know Jesus, you see it. Ray Charles could see it. It's coming together. That's the truth. And when you know Him, you see that. You know the truth, right? But then I said, but He also said, I'm the life. Rancher's terms, you ready? That means without Him, you're not living. I said, some of you walked up to them pens. Some of you walked in that house. Some of you drove a car down here and you didn't even realize it. You're dead. It because before you save, the Bible says you're dead in your sins and trespasses. So in other words, John fourteen six, when Jesus says, I'm the way, without him, you're not going. I'm the truth, without him, you're not knowing. I'm the life, and without him, you're not living. And some of you, you walked in. Some of you can do that in front of your face. Some of you can feel your pulse. That's physical. But you're here today, and spiritually, you're dead. And let me give you the good news. The one that can make you alive, he's in the house. If he calls out your name, come. Let's all stand. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Boy, just a trip to the altar with a troubled heart does some good. Whew. I see the body language. I can't think of a better place to come and kneel and say, Jesus, I trust you. I've trusted you with my past, I've trusted you with my future, but I need to trust you now. Fear not. Only believe. Jesus says, trust me. Altars are open. Do you need to come and say, Jesus, I'm trusting you. Do you need to come to these altars today and just cling to the cross? Feel the power of the cross as you kneel at the altar. You need to come to these altars and say, Lord, I have took my eyes off that eastern sky. My heart's troubled today, and I just want to keep believing, keep clinging, and keep looking. Aren't you glad Jesus tells us how to deal with a troubled heart? And if you don't want to come to the altars, turn around, get on your knees, and use your seat for your troubled heart but if you're here today and you've never trusted him you need to understand without him you're not going without him you're not knowing and without him you're not living and if you need to be saved would you please step out and come today let today be the day of salvation Amen Father have your way May troubled hearts make their way to these altars and let your Holy Spirit minister to them. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.